Hey, how's everybody doing this morning? It is September 3rd. Okay. Everyone's doing that great, huh? September 3rd. Summertime is still here, but it was nice to get up in the morning and see a little cool dew on the grass. So if you notice a pattern with me, you notice I almost talk about the weather almost every Sunday while I'm up here, and I don't know why that's the case. But seasons are healthy. I don't want to live somewhere where it's the same temperature every day, all year long. It would feel good for a little bit, but after a while, it would get boring. Do you know why? Because when the seasons don't change, you don't see much change around you. When our seasons change, we also see the change of God's nature. You know what I'm talking about, right? So when it comes into the fall, everything, it looks so beautiful to see things die, doesn't it? Isn't that kind of silly if you kind of look at it? It's so beautiful to see death. You know, and actually there's a spiritual principle there for another, another time, but it's beautiful. Everything's changing. Everything kind of falls to the ground. It's everything gets a little cooler after the summer days and then winter comes and kind of goes dormant. Things are still alive, even though they're dormant, right? There's something very similar about that in the way we should live that just because we're in a season of dryness or a season of dormancy, it doesn't mean that we're not deepening our roots and we're not growing just because there's no fruit on the vine in that specific way of saying. And then spring, everything changes. And then we start to see new life where we thought there was nothing before. New life starts to sprout all over the place. And then the summertime, it just flourishes. Really, really strong, warm. They can just bask in the, in the uh, rays of the sun. A couple weeks back, I went up to my dad's and we did some, we did some gardening in the front of his property. And um, We dug out a whole lot of bad, ugly stuff, and we cleaned it all up. We planted some plants, and I found over in the corner, behind one of his big, tall, green, evergreen bushes, this mum. Some of you know chrysanthemums. This is a big deal this time of year. By the way, I'm not plugging Costco shamelessly, but they had the biggest mums I've ever seen in my life last night. Weren't they huge? Those mums were ginormous, and they were very inexpensive. So if you have a membership there, you might want to go there. Just throw me a buck or two. I'm just kidding. Um, I should say that's a Costco. Um, but we found a little chrysanthemum. And it was planted underneath this tree. And its stem was probably about maybe that long. And it was trying to get out from underneath the tree so that it could get into the sun's light. And it did. And it was this tiny little green thing. And it was bent up on an angle trying to get the sun, but it literally was like 15, 18 inches long. It was a pretty long stem. And we took it and we transplanted it and dug it deep down into the ground. And it's been getting watered for the last few weeks. And just got a picture of it the other day. And here's what you notice. One, when you get watered a lot consistently in healthy soil, you grow. Good things happen when you're watered and you're healthy in good soil. The second thing that happened, though, as I noticed, as looking at the picture, is the direction of how the actual leaves were postured have changed, where instead of them looking one way and bending one way, which was actually trying to get to the sun, now that it has sunlight for a large portion of the day, it's straightening itself out because it can be exposed to the sun everywhere. Great, great illustration and life-learning lesson when you think about how God even created his creation to recognize the importance of the sun. Today, we have a different sun that we recognize the importance of, right? It's not an S-U-N, it's an S-O-N, right? And we need to keep our eyes and our hearts and our our position and our posture 
focused on him so that we can grow and we can be who he's called us to be. So um, that is not in my notes. I just decided to talk about it. So um, I'm going to cut into my message so I don't keep you guys longer beyond that. But it just really speaks to me when I see nature around me. Scripture is very clear in Romans. Um, people are without excuse to see that the God of creation does not exist. If you want to get into an argument with someone to talk about whether there is a God or there is not a God, Paul just basically says, just look at all creation around you. And what you're going to find is that all creation gives testimony to the existence of God. Therefore, he says, everyone is without what? Excuse. We could never look at the world around us and simply think it all just came into existence. What he's saying is there are different ways that God speaks. And one of the ways he speaks is through his creation. So my hope and my prayer for you this morning is that that's the place where you start. Because when we're on that same page and we believe where we are and we start right there, then great things can happen because we open our hearts and our minds to what God wants to do in us and through us. Um, If you were with us last week, you know that we were starting a kind of a mini-series called Firm Foundations. I have a few weeks that I'm speaking in a row here, including next week at our picnic, um, and I have an opportunity to speak about Firm Foundations I wanted to do something where I could connect the dots instead of doing individual messages, do something that was all connected. And I picked this concept of firm foundations after, uh, after Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I'm going to read that for you again this morning. And it says this, Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the what? Rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. If you were here last week, you heard me say that there are many ways, actually two ways you can build your life. Seven billion people in this world, we all share a bunch of things in common. One of the most significant things is that there are only two ways that we can build our life. According to what Jesus says, we can build our lives on a foundation that's guaranteed to fall, or we can build our foundation on a, or we can build our lives on a foundation that is guaranteed to stand. All of us choose one way or the other. We choose to build on a foundation that falls or a foundation that stands. And Jesus said, you're going to choose one or the other. This is a spiritual truth that we choose to build our lives on, either the temporal things of the world or we build our lives on the eternal. We choose to build our lives on the things we can see around us or we choose to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. There's a difference there. And the way that we do that is by hearing his words and putting them into practice. Now, what were the words he was talking about? If you were here last week, you heard me talk about this being the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is the summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And what was he saying? The Sermon on the Mount, great truths, great teachings, over 18 different teachings for you to talk about or to understand moral truths on how to live and how to walk in relationship with God. And the Beatitudes were before that, the eight different understandings of those who are blessed. All of these truths were important. All of these truths are foundational. And he's saying, if you hear the things that I just spoke to you about on this, during this message, during this sermon, and you don't just hear them, but you apply them, you are building your life on a rock that will never fail. That said, you can hear them and choose not to apply them. And I think this is important for us to understand because sometimes we spend our lives hearing and not doing, right? 
You cannot be successful by association in the kingdom of God. We were talking about this before service today, and I was talking to someone, and I said, you know, it doesn't make me an Olympic athlete because I can watch it on television. I can go to all the trainings and sit on the sidelines during preseason football games, and I will never be an NFL player. Why? Well, one, I don't have the genes to do it. Two, I'm too old. And three, um, I don't do any of the work. I don't do any of the work. And what Jesus is saying is to build your house on a foundation requires work. To hear what he says and to put it into practice, not just hear, but to hear what he says and to put it into practice. Now, before we go any further, I would be remiss as to not acknowledge this because as I thought about this and this week, I was made aware of some information that I wanted to share with you this morning is that we have great examples of this over the course of our lives. You can look at different people that you've probably seen in your life, and if you've had any interaction with Christianity or walking with Jesus for a while, you can see some people that have done this well, and maybe you've seen some people that have not done this well. Well, I know that there's a number of people in this room that have done it well, but specifically in the area of marriage, there's one couple I want to acknowledge, and that is Peter and Betty Miller. Today, if you know them, are celebrating their 68th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. There they are. Raise your hand. Just put your hand up, everyone. Betty, just wave your hand. You know, just, just the queen's wave is good. That's good. There you go. 68 years. Is that right? It is 68 years. It's not 69. 68 years. Not like that makes a big difference, but 68 is a huge amount. Here's why I wanted to recognize that. Not just because it's a lot of years, because here's what I know. Sometimes we equate time with honor, and that's not true. Just because someone's done something for a long time doesn't mean that they deserve honor for it. Hey, I've been a guitar player for 35 years, but I've repeated the fifth grade for the last 30. Should I receive honor for that? No, I shouldn't receive honor for that. And my point is, time does not always equate with an exemplary model that you should follow. But what I would say about Peter and Betty is that if you know them, if you walk relationship with them, if you just hear their story over the years, they're not just two people that have been married for a long time, and by golly, they're getting through it. No, their foundation of their marriage and their relationship has been the rock of Jesus Christ all of their life. And because of that, we celebrate the years. Because of that, we celebrate the fruit. And they'd be happy to talk to you about all the fruit that comes from that. But Peter and Betty, we just want to say... Congratulations. We're happy that you guys are joining us today. On your anniversary, they're at church. Take notes. I'm just kidding. Take notes. <laughs> so congratulations, guys. We love you. Um, okay, so that was my little aside. I'm going to get back to the whole point on this. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, if you were here, we talked specifically about one passage. And I said every week I was going to take th- one of three different, take three different examples of things we should hear and things we should apply. And by doing so, we then build our Lives on a rock that does not fail. Last week, we talked about storing up treasures. And Jesus talked about storing up treasures on earth or heaven. He said, no, don't store up treasures on earth where everything deteriorates and decays. Store up treasures in heaven. And what he was asking us to do was to posture our thoughts and our minds and focus our eyes on eternal perspectives because he was trying to remind his disciples during that time that they were not just created for a moment. They were created for a moment that will be for a lifetime. Though we were born for just a moment, we were created for an eternity. And what he's saying is there's so much more beyond this world that you understand. Don't focus on the things that will be worthless because one day, like my Monopoly game last Sunday, if you saw that, When the game is over and the board is closed, everything that you accomplished during that game has no value whatsoever. 
So he said, make sure your eyes are focused on the things that matter for eternity. And where your eyes focus, your body follows. That is the truth. What you focus on and you look at, your body will eventually go in that direction. So last week was about ownership, who you're going to serve and who your master is going to be. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5. And we were looking at verses 13 through 16. So I want to read that with you together. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You can take a Bible out or you can follow on the screen behind me or in front of you. And we're going to read this next thing. That if we hear it and we apply it, it is like we are building our lives on a rock. Jesus says to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If last week's message foundationally was about ownership, are you a servant or are you a master? Who do you serve? This morning's message is about identity. Last week was about ownership. Who owns you? This week is about identity. And this is so important. Why? Because our identity shapes our actions. Our identity will shape our actions Who we think we are or who we know we are dictates and drives the way that we live. We understand this foundationally in the way that we live, but I want to give an example of this. I was doing a little research and I've heard this before and I wanted to share this story. This is a true story, okay? There's a story that goes back a little while ago about a father, um, a story of a, I'm sorry, back up a little bit. There's a man who was a successful magazine entrepreneur, okay? Goes back a little ways. He was a very successful magazine entrepreneur in the world, true story. Uh, he was failing out of high school, and he struggled in school while he was growing up. He was raised by a single mom in the Midwest. He promised his mother he'd take the SAT because she forced him to do it, and he didn't expect to get a good score. Here's where the story changes, and it's pretty cool. His score came back, and he got a 1480 out of 1600. Amazing, right? Now, if you don't know anything about that, 1480 out of 1600 is a really good score. It's pretty high. His mother, knowing her kid, asked asked him, did you cheat on this test? And he swore that he didn't cheat. But he got a 1480, even though he struggled in school. In his senior year, he realizes finally that he was smart. And he applied himself, and he decided to attend classes. He stopped hanging out with his old crowd and the bums that were taking him in the wrong direction. The teachers and the kids took notice, and they started treating him very differently because his behavior changed. He graduated high school. He attended a community college. Okay, He went on to Wichita State University and eventually ended up in an Ivy League school to become a successful magazine entrepreneur. He's smart, right? He just needed the standardized test to unlock his potential. And that is not the point of the story. Here's where it gets really cool. Twelve years later, the man gets a letter from Princeton, New Jersey. He doesn't think anything about it. It says the next day his wife asks if he's going to open the letter, so he opens the letter. And he opens it up and finds out that in the history of the SAT exam, there's only been 13 times where they sent the wrong score to the wrong people. 
He was one of the 13. His actual score was a 740. 740, not 1480. By accident, he discovered who he was. People say his whole life changed because when he got a 1480, everything looked different. And that's actually not the case. What really happened is his behavior changed. His attitude changed. He started acting like a person with a 1480 score and started doing what someone with a score like that does, even though it wasn't true. Isn't that incredible? Any of you students that are sitting here listening to this right now, if you get nudged by your parents, don't blame me. It's a true story, okay? But here's what I want to say. This is such a powerful story for us to apply today. Our understanding of our identity influences our behavior. When you think you are a certain way, you act a certain way. When you think you are a certain person, your identity is a certain way. You've been labeled. You've been established. Whatever it is, good or bad, positive or negative, strong or weak, your behaviors will follow that understanding. Today's message is called Know Who You Are. We need to know who we are because when we know who we are and we understand our identity and who we are as followers of Christ and what that really means, it should impact our behavior. And when our behavior does not change, the issue is that we do not understand who we are. Because when we understand who we are, it should, in fact, it will change our behavior. Here's that main point for this morning. Knowing who you are as a follower of Jesus determines how you live. Knowing how I am, knowing who I am as a follower of Jesus should determine how I live. If I have trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior and I've chosen to follow him all of my life, that's great. But if my behavior, my actions, my priorities, if none of that changes... Either I never really chose to follow Jesus or I really don't understand who he is and who I am because of him. So the solution has to be to have a better understanding of knowing who we are. Because here's what I do know. When you know who you are and it genuinely touches you and meets you right in a place of transformation, your attitude, your skills, your behavior, your priorities, they do begin to change. Just like that guy that thought he had a 1480 SAT, but in reality, it was half that. He became a successful entrepreneur because he thought he was something that he wasn't according to the SAT. But here's the beautiful thing about it. He was because his attitude changed. So who are you? Do you know who you are today? And I'm not saying your name, your address, your social security number, your credit card. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I want to know if you know who you are in Christ. I want to know if you understand what it means to have an identity to say that you are a follower of Jesus Christ and what, as a result of that, should mean for your life. Jesus uses two illustrations in verses 13 through 16, and he says, you are, to his disciples, in two different ways. He says, you are, number one, he says, you are the salt of the earth, okay, Now, this is not what salt looked like during Jesus' time, I'm going to be honest with you. This is refined, this is bougie, this is first world salt. It doesn't look anything like that, okay? Okay, this is the way it doesn't look like that. But you understand what I'm trying to say, because we know what salt does and we know the purpose of it. He says, you are salt of of the earth and you are the light of the world, right? You're the light. Like that, right? Like that? There's a light. You're the light of the world. This didn't exist during Jesus' time either, in case you're wondering. What does this mean? 
What does it mean? I want to briefly just explain this to you, and then I just want to ask that we would take some time and just respond and say, Lord, what does it mean for me? Okay? If you've heard anyone talk about some of these examples and these illustrations, you probably have heard some of the things I'm going to tell you, but I'm willing to bet there's something in here I'm going to share that you haven't. Jesus used the example of salt. And he says, you are salt of the earth. Well, what do we know about salt? Well, first off, it's mentioned over 45 times in the Bible. Salt is mentioned over 45 times in the Old and New Testament combined. Why? What is the significance about that? Did he have like a blood pressure issue? Was there something going on that we really had to talk about that was significant? Or was there something more foundational about salt? Because in our economy today, salt has a purpose, but it's not monetary. Meaning it doesn't become something we trade in. It doesn't have a value. You don't pay people's wages in salt today. Do you know some of the people during that time... Jewish people and even Roman people, they were paid wages with salt in some cases. It actually was part of their economic um, organization. It was part of the money system that they used. But why? Because it did a couple of things. And we know this. Salt, one, it enhances things from a food perspective. If, if you have a nice meal and you go out, you know, one of the biggest insults you could do to a really, really, really awesome chef is somewhere is to go somewhere and then just salt and pepper the whole thing because they try to make it perfect. But let's just assume that we don't have that privilege and we make something at home. I know when I make stuff at home, which is very rare, but when I do make something at home, I'm always looking for the salt shaker because I have to add something to it. What does it do? It enhances the thing that it's applied to, right? When you sprinkle salt on something, it makes it taste what? Better, right? Someone said salty. Yes, that's true too. But it makes it taste better. It's supposed to make it taste better. And they did the same thing back then. But salt also at the time that Jesus was walking the earth, was a preservative. Salt was used to preserve things. They didn't have refrigeration units. They didn't have ice boxes. They didn't have some of the technology we had today. When things were packed in salt, salt was used to eliminate or to reduce the possibility of things decomposing. And they preserved things for a long period of time. We use that today in our world too when they have certain types of meats and they use them over a long period of time and they let them get dried over a long period of time, salt is an integral part or an ingredient in that process. So there's the enhancing of things. And he's telling his disciples, you guys are followers of me. You are followers, students of Jesus. Today, that would apply to us to say, if you're a follower of Christ, you're a student of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in Christ, you have a role, if you will, to enhance all of the areas of your life that you touch. We have a responsibility to make the things in our lives better, right? That's what that means. Now, what does better mean? Well, it can mean a lot of different things. It could be a very practical better. Maybe it means um, helping someone whose car broke down, or maybe it means introducing someone to Jesus Christ, or both. But the point of the matter is, he said, followers of Jesus, by design, when you know who you are, are supposed to enhance everything they touch. So that's a question to ask yourself today. Are you enhancing? Are you making things better? The areas that you, in, that you touch, the areas that you work with. This is important for us to understand because there is an extreme that we need to be mindful of. Sometimes we use this to enhance our meals. And I, I brought this lovely meal this morning with me that I wanted to share with you. So I have a little drumstick and some cauliflower and some asparagus. Okay. And, and I'm just, if I, they're not real by the way, in case you're wondering. So 
but the kids think they're real. So we're just going to put a little bit of salt on there. Makes them feel better and make them taste better, right? You do this with your home, with your meals. That's what it's supposed to look like as a follower of Christ. Take that which he's given you, your identity, what it means to know Jesus, the hope you have in Christ, and infuse it, sprinkle it on the places that you have influence in your life. Make them better. Make them stronger. They should taste better. When people are around you, they should feel better. When people are around people who love Jesus, they should, even if they can't put a finger on it, they should be able to say, there's something different about you. There's something blank about you. I don't know. I feel encouraged after I've talked to you. I feel, I feel whatever. And this doesn't mean, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want to box it in to say what it needs to look like. But yesterday I went to um, a dealership to pick up some car parts and I sat there and I talked with the parts guy at the counter. There was nobody there. And we just started talking about car parts because that's what he did for a living. It was a good segue to just start talking about stuff. And I had all kinds of questions because I have questions about everything. And we're talking and we're sharing stuff about our experiences in our lives and where we were doing. We spent almost 30 minutes talking about stuff. And when it was all said and done, he looked at me and he said, it was really great to talk to you. I, I really, like, this was really encouraging. Like, thank you for spending the time and talking with me. And I said, you're welcome. And then I asked for a discount. No, I didn't. I di- no, I didn't. I didn't. I'm kidding. I already paid for it online. But I walked out. You thought I did. Some of you did. But I walked out and I thought to myself, that's one example of what it means just to bring a little life into different places. Meet people where they are. Show them that you're interested in them. Ask them questions about themselves. Ask them questions about what they do. Sprinkle life into their, into their life. You see someone broken down on the road. You have a neighbor that's in need. You need someone that needs someone to watch over you know, a situation or someone that's looking for a job. There's so many things that we could do in this world pouring into other people in a simple way that is no different than just taking a little bit of salt and sprinkling it over a meal. Okay, That's a good way to use salt. To enhance the meal. You know what a lot of Christians do sometimes? Jesus changed my life, Pastor Paul. And everybody's got to know it. And everybody needs to see it. And I'm not going to shut up about it. And that's sin. And this is right. And this is righteousness. And I'm being obedient to Jesus. And nobody wants to eat this meal. Am I right? There are plenty of Christians that feel vindicated or they feel justified in just being jerks to people in this world because they have been righteous and they use scripture and they misinterpret and take things out of context. Jesus went into the temples and he flipped the tables. So I'm going to go flip tables in people's lives and I'm going to claim that that's the calling that God has given me. Just sit down and stop. You're intended to get scripture correctly. Jesus saw something in a place that God intended it to look like, and the world perverted it. And in that moment, in his righteous anger, he addressed that one situation. How many times do you see Jesus flipping temple tables or freaking out on people through the Gospels? How many times do you see him meeting people that are wounded, hurting, help, that could be judged, could be convicted of things, could be condemned of different things? How many times do you see that thing and he meets them where they are? He loves them. He brings them closer to himself. He brings the gospel of love to people. Not by dumping all this truth on them, 
So can I tell you this morning, your ambitions and your zeal for things that are godly, that's good. There's a place for that at different times. But ask yourself, by and large, over the course of your life, if you are salt of the earth, are you enhancing the areas of your world? Because God calls us to live in a way that the people we interact with should see Jesus more than they see us. Big, big deal. The second part was preservation. It keeps things from breaking down. You know what I use as a synonym for that? Preservation, protection. There's an element of protection, and this is something that can step on people's toes. But for too long, we see historically that when evil starts to grow rampant in our world around us, in this country, in the world, it doesn't matter. A lot of times Christians get to their knees and pray which is important for us to do. But when God moves us to pray, many times he's moving us to act as well. And many times we go, well, we're just going to pray about that. We're just going to pray about that. Don't just pray about it. Pray about it until God says, this is what you're supposed to do. And don't relegate that responsibility to somebody else because we're called to protect. We're called to preserve. We're called to uphold truth. We're called to look at things that are wrong from what God's will says. We're called to go into places in this world and not just speak truth, but live truth. We're called to look at the relationships of the friends, the family members, the the, the kids, the teenagers. My goodness, this Wednesday when Pastor Jacob brought his friend, Pastor Matthew, up from Louisiana, and he's speaking to these students. I'm looking at them. I'm like, some people, and it starts when they're young, but it happens when they're older too. They've learned how to live based on the culture around them. And I'm looking at all these kids that are in this room, and I'm saying, are they really clearly, do they really understand what it means to walk in truth? Do they really know what it means to have a relationship with God that isn't just checking boxes and doing the right thing? Do they understand what it means to be godly and to understand that there is a relationship that God wants to have with them? And they need men and women around them to point them to the direction that honors God and not the society and the social media that tells them what truth is. Because if you listen to social media, if you watch movies, if you look at TV shows, you'll see all this crap and perversion that's on there that says, this is the way it just happens. And they just buy it hook, line, and sinker. And we watch our students continue to go down this pit. And you know what happens? They grow up into adults. And then they teach the same thing to their kids. And they teach the same thing to their kids. We need to preserve. We need to be willing to be a voice when God tells us to be a voice. Are we willing to speak truth? Now, a voice doesn't mean your fists are closed. You can have open hands and still speak truth. But here's what I believe in my heart of hearts. I believe that God will hold us accountable as the church of Jesus Christ, not so much for what we do sometimes, but what we didn't do. He will look at us and say, I entrusted you with a voice of freedom to speak truth to people, to proclaim the captives could be free, to teach them about how to properly date someone else, what a healthy marriage looks like, to talk about forgiveness, to understand purity in your relationships as a husband and a wife, as a single man, as a married man. I've taught you all these things that are in Scripture. Stand up and declare that truth, not just with your words, but with your lives. With your lives. Be salt. Influence those around you. Protect those that are around you. You know how many times I've had people anger with me over the years because I see that they're running into a brick wall and I'm not okay with them just looking and running into that wall, but I'll pick up the phone or I'll go meet with them or I'll say, I'm concerned about what I see here. And many times it's not met with humility. Many times it's met with anger. It's met with fists. Sometimes I've lost friendships over this over the years. And it's not because I go to them like this. And this is not a common occurrence, but I can tell you it's happened a number of times over my life where I see things that are out of whack with people. In the same way I see it with others, I hope people would come to me that have a good relationship and care about me as well. And I say, this is not okay. You are going to open yourself up to all these problems if this happens. And sometimes people just go, 
I'm going to do what I want, and you're not my friend, and I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. And you know what? I'd rather be in that place where I could stand before God one day and say, Lord, I tried. Than to have that person's life fall apart and then come back to me and go, why didn't you say anything? Because I loved you. Nonsense. The church is called to preserve. Being salt means to preserve. It means to protect. It means to be a voice. The last thing in salt, which is really, I think, is awesome, is the, um, the concept of being a covenant of salt. Like, what does that mean? This is the part that maybe you've never heard before. It's really cool. Old Testament, New Testament. There's this concept that we see of the covenant of salt. It was a two-way agreement. Remember I said it was over 45 times salt's been, been mentioned in the Bible? The covenant of salt was in the Old Testament, and it was a ritual that was connected with signing an agreement between two different people. And the consumption of food with salt was an essential part of the covenant. It symbolized a union between the parties involved. It was thus referred to as the salt of the covenant. They would say, there is bread and there is salt between us, which was synonymous with saying, there is a relationship between us. And salt was used in that. You see it in the example of Israel and God, God and Aaron and God and King David. And I'm not going to go into detail about that, but I'm going to say the relationships were established through a covenant of salt. Salt was the ingredient present that communicated the permanence of a relationship between God and man. And when Jesus is telling his people, you are salt of the earth, what he's also saying is, in the same way physical salt was the ingredient that presented and communicated the permanence of the relationship between God and man, you as the church are supposed to be the ingredient to communicate the permanence of relationship that God wants to establish between the world and him. We are the glue, if you will, the ingredient. Jesus is the one that does all the work, but what he's saying to the church is our role in the, part, in, in the journey is to communicate and to bring people into relationship with God. That's what salt does. It's not just to pray that the person that we've known for years might show up in a church someday, or we're just going to sit and do our thing and let somebody else do that because evangelism isn't our thing. Or discipleship isn't our thing. Or our lives are too busy to do whatever. No, no, no. He says every one of us are supposed to be salt of the earth. Which means the presence, our presence in the lives of the world should be about people that are hungry to point people to Christ. Because that's what it should look like. Are we spending time doing that in our lives? The second point, he says, is that we are the light of the world. The light of the world. And he uses this example. Do you know the word light in scripture is used over 270 times? If you are a King James Version person. 270 times in the Bible. There's a lot of examples of that. A few that come to mind is that God said on day one, let there be what? Light. And then when he made the sun and the moon and the stars, it said the light of the sun governed the day. The light of the moon governed the night. When Israel's journey through the wilderness happened, he gave them two lights. He gave them a cloud during the daylight and he gave them a pillar of fire in the evening to illuminate their way. When Jesus was born, the Magi came and how did they know where to find him? They followed the great what? Light, the star, which was a light that they saw in the sky. And Jesus Christ himself said that he is the light of the world. What does light represent? A lot of things, but here's a couple quick things for you to think about. Life represented creation, life, hope, 
transformation, wisdom, guidance, purity, peace, the list goes on and on and on. If we are the light of the world, then we as the church should represent life to the people of this world. We should represent hope. We should represent peace. We should represent transformation. Why do a lot of people not want anything to do with the church of Jesus Christ today? Well, there's lots of reasons, but I know one that I hear over and over again is because people have done boneheaded things to other people and they do it in the name of Jesus or they don't care that they're being hypocritical in whatever they're doing. And people have stepped away from the gospel or they step away from the church because in their error, they have made Jesus the offense. But it's not Jesus. It's the imperfect person that wasn't living like Jesus. It's a difference, right? There are people that have been part of our church and maybe even here today that you've said, I don't really want anything to do with Christianity. Well, can I tell you, if that's where you are today, it's probably because in some way, maybe you've experienced a version of Christianity that really isn't Christianity. Because when we're the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world, yes, we'll speak truth. We'll speak truth. We'll walk in grace though. We'll also bring a transformation. You may not like some of the things that people think, believe, or say, but the foundation by how they're bringing it and what they're doing it, you will not be able to refute. I'll say things over my life that people won't like and people won't agree with. I understand that. And some of the things I say because they're, you know, divinely inspired. And some of the things I say is because I'm a human and I make mistakes. But by and large, can people hear the foundation of the truth and go, I can receive what you're saying because I know foundationally you actually are being kind and gracious and you love me. When we're light of the world, we shine. When we're light of the world, as he says, we make a difference. When we're the light of the world, and I'm being careful where I'm shining this, but when we're the light of the world, it illuminates the things around us. Remember how salt works when it's seasoning things? Light works when it illuminates the path. Light works when it shows us the way. Light does not work when you shine it in your face. In fact, Pastor Jacob, how does this feel right now? Not good, (laughs) good, right? Good, I'll take it away from you. I'm sorry. Just kidding, I'm back again. (laughs) If I did this for Pastor Jacob for the rest of my message today, whether it was a minute or 30 minutes, I would have to have a conversation with him tomorrow. His eyes are closed. Actually, they're not closed. How are you doing this? (laughs) Okay, you're doing your best. So, Linda, I'm sorry. I can see you back there. You're just like, will you please stop? So, let me just go like this. Do you understand what I'm saying? The light of the world illuminates the space around you to help people walk a path. We don't take the light and shine it directly in their face so that they are blinded. But that's what a lot of Christians can do sometimes. The light of the world, the salt of the earth. How do we do this? Matthew 5, 13 through 16. How can we fulfill this? The answer is in verse 13. How can we walk this out with integrity? Look what he says in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Is there or is there not a way for salt to lose its saltiness? Every time I've read this, I've thought, wow, I mean, this is a little awkward the way he's saying that. Salt in itself actually can lose its saltiness. Do you know how? It doesn't actually lose it. It becomes diluted and neutralized. Salt can lose its saltiness when it is incorporated with impurities. So what Jesus is telling us here is the way that you continue to be salt or the way you can continue to be light in this world, stay pure and avoid being corrupted by ungodly things. 
If we want to be salt in this world and we need to be light in this world, we have to stay pure. We have to separate ourselves. And this is not an aesthetic separation where you live in a hole and you don't watch anything around you or don't you know, throw all your technology away. It's a mindset shift. It's a change the way we think in this world that we stay pure and we avoid being corrupted by ungodly things. And can I say, within the church of Jesus Christ today, that is a struggle for many, many people, myself included, at different times. Why? Because everything around us wants to tell us what truth looks like. Everything around us wants to tell us what priorities are. Everything tells us that they need, I need to give my time to that. I need to focus on that. I need to fill my thoughts and my mind with that. But the scripture is very clear. Be renewed. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we say no to things that are impure. We walk with a spirit of of purity, not a spirit of sinfulness. And all those things are about not being corrupted by ungodly things. You'd have to ask yourself this morning, as I have to ask myself, what does it mean to walk in an attitude of purity? What does it mean to be okay to draw lines and things and say enough is enough? I'm not going to give myself to that. I'm not going to expose myself to that. I'm going to change my paths. I'm going to change what I think about, what I read, what I listen to, what I watch, where I put my time. I'm going to change these things because those things are diluting me from being effective. I'm going to warn you all. It is September of 2023. And a little over a year from now, we're going to have another presidential election. And can I tell you, it is going to be a hook that the enemy is going to use to dilute a lot of people from being effective for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be so consumed with what's happening around them that they're going to forget. And this has nothing to do with standing your truth and praying for God to do what he wants to do in our country, but they're going to become so consumed in what they believe and what their thoughts are that they're going to forget before all of those things they're called to influence the world for Jesus Christ. Be on your guard. The enemy is watching and looking for ways, ways to destroy, ways to kill, ways to steal. James one twenty seven says this, religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and look at the last part we always forget, and keep oneself from being polluted by what? The world. That's the religion that God accepts as pure and faultless. Let's care for the orphans. Let's care for the widows. Let's love people where they are and people that are in their distress. Oh, and don't let the world pollute your mind. That's the piece we forget sometimes. To be salt and light, we need to walk in that spirit of truth. So why? Because he rescued us. Remember when I started, I said, we have to know who we are for us to change our behavior. Can I tell you who you are? Paul says it in Colossians verse 1, if you're a follower of Jesus, chapter 113, look what he says. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. He didn't give us a choice He didn't extend a hand. He didn't prevent us, as we said earlier, from walking the walk of shame. He rescued us. That is a strong word, my friends. He rescued us. Why? Because we were dead. Without Christ, there is no hope. Without Christ, there is no hope for any of us. Without Christ, there is no hope for this world. Without Christ, there's no hope for your career, no hope for your marriage, no hope for your children. Without Christ, there's no hope for purpose or meaning or peace. Without Christ, there is no 
hope because we are dead in our sins. And he rescued us from this kingdom of darkness and brought us into a kingdom of light through his dear son. That's who we are. And that's the message he wants us to give to others as we live each and every day of our lives. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Earlier when we talked about the thanksgiving of who God is and what are we thankful for, one of the things we said was that God restores relationship. We are thankful that God takes things that are broken, that are hopeless, and that are dead, and he resurrects them. He puts them back together and heals, and he restores. Amen? That's the story of the gospel. And can I tell you, I'm willing to bet every single one of us knows someone in that place. And can I tell you, as I'm saying that, it's one of the reasons why this fall, this church is going to have to go back to two services. Because all of us can know all of us, or all of us can know Jesus. And if every single one of us that was here had one person, one person that we knew, that we invited to begin the journey with them, with us, that we've already been walking, we wouldn't have any space here for two services. It's not about attending church services. It's about bringing the gospel mission, the truth of the gospel to the world around us. And if you've experienced that yourself since you've been here or at some point in your life, then why shouldn't we make it a priority to help others experience the same thing? That's why we're doing it. That's why we need help. That's why we need volunteers. That's why we need people to support and to do that. Because when we know who we are, it changes the way that we live. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. Our worship team is going to come and just play for a little while. And instead of singing the song with the team this morning, I'm just going to ask if you would just take a few moments and reflect upon a few things. We're going to pray, give you an opportunity to come and be prayed for, and the team will sing a song on your way out if you would like to go. Or if you want to stay, you can still stay. But please just take a few moments this morning. I want to talk to you first, those of you that are followers of Christ, that know Jesus, that have a relationship with him. And I want you to just reflect upon this today. That you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I want you to just take a step back and ask yourself, do you remember those that have sprinkled the salt of, of the kingdom into your life or have shined the light of eternity on your life in your, in your world at some point in your life. Think about those people. Think about where you are today, but think about how can you go back and remember that place and say, I, I remember, and maybe there's a few names of people that come to mind where you say, this person brought the kingdom to me. This person sprinkled grace and love into my life. This person protected me and told me I was going to run off a cliff. This person helped navigate me through the difficult time when I was hurting and I was struggling. Can I tell you as Christians, that's one of the greatest things we can do is not to show people just how to live beautiful lives, but it's in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of discouragement. How do we live in the midst of that? What a beautiful way to show the love of Christ and the power of Christ in the midst of our trials so that others can see that it isn't just our own will, but it's the power of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, will you just consider those names? Think about how they poured into you and the things of truth that they poured into you and how it's affected you over, the, over your life. 
And now just take a moment and ask the Lord who you should be influencing. Because God gave you a beautiful gift by having others speak into your life. And who is he calling you to speak into now? The beautiful thing about this is that it doesn't just end when you start speaking to others' lives. He still lets people speak into yours, right? It's not an event. It's a journey. It's a process. But if he's spoken into your life, words of life, how much more now does he want you to speak into others? And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I've said it before, but I'll say it again as direct as I can, and I say it in love, not in judgment. There is no hope. There is no peace. There is no power in this life without Jesus Christ. When the center of our life is ourself and not Jesus, we're building our house on sand. And it will fall. And it will fall apart. And the storms of the world will hit us and bombard us in all these different places. And the truth of the matter is, when that day comes, God will still be there with an invitation to ask you to join him. I know a lot of people at our church over the years, and I can tell you some of the people I know that are in this church today are here because they came to a place when they tried everything they could in their own strength for hope, for peace, to experience something different than what they were tired of going over the same thing over and over again. They came to a place where they were at the end of their rope figuratively speaking. And that's where Jesus was there waiting with an invitation. And if that's you this morning, when we pray and the team just begins to play, we want you to come. We want you to let us pray with you. Let us introduce you to what it means like to have a relationship with Christ. Begin the journey today and watch what he will do in you and through you. Because he's rescued us. He wants to rescue you too. Father, we just come before you today. Just pray, Lord, that you would hear our voice, hear our prayer, that we build our rock, our, our lives on the rock by being the salt and being the light of this earth that you've called us to be. God, teach us. Draw us closer to you. We know you're not expecting perfection. You're just asking us to be obedient. So God, I pray that you would teach us, draw us, empower us, Lord, and release us to be the salt and light in this world change our hearts, evaluate our priorities. Show us through the power of your Holy Spirit as we look at our calendars and our bank accounts and our our internet feeds and our internet history and the activities and events that we participate in. Teach us what it means to walk in obedience with you and help us change the world for Jesus Christ. our prayer team just to come up to the front here at this point. And if you're here this morning and you would like one of us to pray for you, please just come and let us pray for you. As the team plays, like I said, you can stay and you can join us during the worship, but if you need to leave, our church service is dismissed and you can go when you need to go. Please just leave quietly for those that would want to stay with us. God, thank you again for this day. We pray blessings over this church. That the influence that you've given us transform our hearts so that we could touch others in your name we pray.